HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. And welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren. And today on the show, I have my co-hosts of Cutting the Curd, Carlos Yescas and Jessica Kesselman. Hooray! Happy New Year! Welcome, guys. Happy New Year. Hello. Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, yes. Well, I'm, I'm stoked to have us all together, finally, to review and, and kind of check in about trends for 2022, um, because, like, that's it. We're, we're in the future now. <laughs> the future we're, is we're now. in 2022 and we can look back at 2021 and, and say we made it. And um, I'm just so happy to have uh, my two favorite cheese people in the world uh, to talk about this. Awesome. So excited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, what I think is we should we should jump to the the trends a little bit, because I think, um, you know, I was reviewing some articles and I'm sure you guys have been, too. Um, and I'm curious, the thing that I, that struck me as the biggest trend that we're probably going to see a lot more of is the convenience of cheese, like the convenience cheese formats. Like we've been seeing them for a while, but I feel like they're going to grow even more now, especially with people working more from home and the school life is changing. Uh, I, I saw Susan Axelrod brought it up in her cultural article, um, so I'm kind of curious, Jess, you have a sales background, so I'm going to start with you. What do you think about this convenience cheese segment and the growth of it? Or, or what do you see? What have you been seeing? Um, well, I, I mean, it's funny that you say convenience because I think of C stores, right? So I'm thinking of like your 7-Elevens and your Sheets and your Wawa's. And so when I think convenience, I think the trend is in that direction that you will start to see brands and um, cheeses and cheese styles in those channels that you used to only see in your A stores in the bigger supermarket chains or at Whole Foods or at your independent markets. I think we're going to see better 
cheese choices in convenient packaging, snacks or what have you, um, in rest stops, in your, you know, convenience markets. Um, I think that the the idea of the snack tray and stuff, I think that's a little saturated. Um, so I think the exploration or the expansion is going to mm-hmm. be into where you can find really good cheese. That that's that's my prediction of this trend. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, we I feel like when we go to supermarkets, I see a lot of the pre-made fondue, which is kind of like a higher-end convenience uh, cheese product. Uh, we have been seeing the snack trays, like a lunchable for a while now and it only makes sense that like what you're saying like it goes a little higher end like i'm sure we're going to see cheesemakers who we normally don't see doing this kind of convenience product uh i'm really curious to see who makes the jump and how they market it um carlos i'm curious what do you think about this because you're a specialty guy i feel like you know what what do you think about the convenience cheese item yeah, no, I I actually agree with with both of you, and I think actually here is a space that is that is being opened by um, not only the the idea of convenience eating, right? Because because it, 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 it seems almost obvious to say, right? Like you go to a convenience store to find something that is convenient to eat, but actually, I don't think that's the trend. <laughs> it is yeah. actually that you go to convenience stores because you don't want to make a commitment to you know taking the time to go into a to a to a to a larger store and you know sort of like taking the time uh, of finding something. You you want quality, but you don't want to have to spend that the, the sort of crazy amount of time or you know the research or everything else. And so I think in this trend, actually, we're going to start seeing a lot of um, plant-based cheeses, if we want to call them, <laughs> cheeses with a C, with a C, um, that are going to like going <laughs> to start inhabiting that space along other cheeses. Um, I think that you know the the first movement to to this trend actually started with the sort of uh, cheese curds and you know how cheese curds have started being more present in in that sort of spaces uh, of of convenience. And then um, I think now there's a space for um, let maybe say high end. Um, uh, pasta filata, you know, high end, but at that sort of small format. Uh, and I have been seeing that, for example, in Colombia, there's things coming up with that. There's things in Brazil that are coming up with that. And so this is a trend that is not just happening in the United States. It's also happening in other places. So I think those those will be the first ones, sort of plant-based uh, cheeses that are convenient, and then styles and, 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 and sort of formats that kind of seem fun, uh, I, um, I I think the other one will be, of course, alpine cheese because there's so much alpine cheese everywhere that we will see, um, you know, sort of sticks mm-hmm. of, of it. Uh, I think it will be a little bit longer before we start seeing, um, you know, sort of your wash rind in the in the Seven Eleven. But you know, the time will come. <laughs> right. I mean, because we've seen it now at Starbucks as well. They have like a little cheese. Uh, program as well like a lot of these places where you would get lunch quickly but for an office but now I think with that with the way the world has changed this is going to the supermarkets maybe for a kid's lunch 
or a snack. And it's really interesting to see how everyone's perception of quality for cheese is changing uh, to this like convenient I'm going to eat this right now in my Zoom session. Like maybe there's going to be more Zoom cheese parties now. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I think that would be cool. Um, (laughs) uh, Another thing that's always, I feel like mentioned every year. So I'm not sure this is new, but I like that it was mentioned in the article um, that a marketing firm said that uh, specialty and ethnic cheeses are going to continue to grow, which I mean, I'm like, isn't it already growing? But um, I like that they mentioned, <laughs> I like that they mentioned that cheesemakers should try to design the cheeses to be versatile and cooking friendly, which I have to say, some cheesemakers may not think of the cooking factor. Um, and I, I, I think, I mean, people are cooking so much more now um, that it makes sense. And then this also plays into Susan Axelrod's idea that Um, that she mentioned in her article that a lot of the classic cheese dishes that people make at home might be upscaled. And I'm very excited about that. I don't know about you guys, but like, I feel like if we can make baked ziti or some sort of, (laughs) I I don't know what everyone's favorite cheese dish is. Yes. Maybe actually guys, you should write in on Instagram to us about that. Please do it. Cutting the curd. But like what, cheese dishes deserve to be upscaled and how are they going to be upscaled? I'm going to look at that this season. Cause I, I, I don't know. I like to eat cheese. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? I, I think it's time to say goodbye to the baked ziti um, pantheon of cheese dishes. When we, when we think of what to make with cheese, I, um, I think what the trend is going towards more international less cheese heavy dishes that use cheese like, um, uh, you know, Mexican cheeses, for example. Um, and, and then in, um, you know, the, you know, any, any of these dishes that you look at in, um, cookbooks from, you know, for India or, you know, where they're using or Bulgaria or the Middle East, you know, that are using, um, cheese as an ingredient um, those, those are the, the recipes that I think when we say upscale, I think what we're really talking about is people expanding their repertoire of, um, culinary knowledge. And so they're making things using, um, feta or paneer, um, in ways that they maybe didn't incorporate into their home cooking before. So I think the upscale I don't think it's so much upscale as much as broadening. Um, I, I keep remembering back when I was in college, I'm not going to date myself, so I'm not going to say when this was, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was in upstate New York and it became pretty easy where the, the freshman 15 was coming from <laughs> because our dining hall, <laughs> I mean, everything was a, was a riff on cheese and pasta right? So it would be stromboli, it would be baked ziti, it would be pizza, it would be, you know, it was just like, different formations of starch and cheese. And, um, and I think what we're seeing now is a movement away from that kind of cooking and more incorporating fresh ingredients and and all the other cheeses that can be used in that kind of cooking. I'm excited. I mean, there's a lot of talk about you know, the ethnic aisle in shopping, um, in grocery stores. And I think, um, 
in talking with people about where do you put some of these cheeses that are more driven towards an international market and how you find how we're finding um, their way into the multi-deck at your stop and shop or your Safeway. Um, that, that to me is another trend. And I think that's really exciting. Seeing more of the shelf space being turned over to cheeses that were considered more ethnic aisle cheeses. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think I, I went on a few tangents there, but, um, but I think that that's the upscale. And, yeah. <laughs> no, and I wonder no, how I'm, much I'm of a role with the, um, the yeah. meal kit, uh, delivery, um, during the pandemic, if that played a role in it, I think also probably, I mean, I don't really, we don't have cable, so I don't know what the cooking shows are doing these days, <laughs> but, but right. I think there, there has been more of a focus on, um, a more diverse, um, group of voices that are influencing the way people cook at home. And I think that we're seeing that reflect back into the type of cheeses that people are using in their cooking. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this is where I'll give Carlos yep. props. I think Carlos, you were ahead of the game yes. with Mexican and Hispanic cheeses because now, especially like I, you guys know previously in the season, maybe that I, I was interviewing the Mezcal guys and they sent me a ton of cheeses from Mexico. And I'll tell you what, I didn't know the, how big a scale, like how many different types <laughs> there were. I'm still learning right now, Carlos, I'm going to read your book mm -hmm. about them. I think it's, I can see where the category can grow so much. And so I think just, this is exactly going towards your point about just a different version of cheese that we've never seen before. And actually, I think we're all ready for that. <laughs> I mean, Carlos, what do you think? What do you, is this the year? I actually don't think it's a year yet. Ah, uh, okay. I, I, funny, funny that you bring up the cheeses that, that the Mezcal guys sent to you because I wrote uh, to them after the show and, you know, sort of kind of introducing myself and they're like, oh, we just bought all the cheeses that we sent to Cara at Lactography, which is my company in Mexico, which, you know, sort of like good, you know, all, all yeah. of us there anyway but i think just to kind of add to um yeah. what jess was saying was that i think before the pandemic we had seen a growth in a category of food um that that you know is is commonly known as the grain balls right and these grain balls were mm -hmm. sort of like the healthy quick eating alternative for the for the middle of the day and I think a lot of people got used to some of the flavors um, in that because, you know, like, you know, there will be quinoa or there'll be, you know, uh, roasted, um, uh, you know, roasted vegetables, but they will have like a curry or they will have turmeric or they will have ancho sauce. And so it was kind of more international. And and I think that then what happened is that people went into, you know, into cooking at home and everything and they kind of brought that idea with them of these grain balls and it is in the grain ball that we're starting to see or that i see people incorporating cheeses in different ways not only not only feta and, and paneer which i think are very obvious but more and more blue cheese and um so and and not cheese that is just melted but you know uh, maybe a, a piece of uh, alpine cheese or a piece of brie that kind of lives in that um grain ball. Uh and I and I think that because so many of those uh cheeses actually pair quite quite well with sort of you know uh, uh, let's say ethnic for for lack of a better word at this moment 
um, flavors right. ends yes. up being really interesting, right? Like I, yeah. I go back to that ACS uh, cheese pairing um, class that, that that so many of us took, where Rachel Perez introduced nori with brie, and I was just like blown away, right? Like that combination is just like you never think like you know you're going to beat up put up a piece of seaweed um, with your with your brie and then it turns amazing and then when you hear that you know what Joab is doing with with his wash galactic which you know sort of benefits from the 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 the, the algae uh, flavoring you know that's going to come full circle in the cheese but I think that that those combinations are actually quite interesting and that's why I'm saying this I'm not so sure that it's going to be Mexican or even larger Hispanic but actually is uh, is going to be um, you know flavors that are either from India or uh, Asia that are going to be more more interesting uh, for people pairing with cheese. Unfortunately, I think people still think of um, Mexican cuisine as either spicy mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever that is, <laughs> or as heavy in the sort of queso and, uh, you know, cheese-laden nachos. So we, I don't think we have found, or most people have found, the sort of middle space that actually is most of Mexican cuisine. Um, I think it will take a, a, still a while. Um, for for people to get sort of acquainted with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I agree with both of you, actually. I think there's, and I, um, it's going to be very interesting to see, uh, especially in cooking magazines in different places, how they're designing these recipes. There is definitely uh, less cheese being used, but like a new version of it too, like you said, Carla. So I, in like a healthy way, everyone's working in a healthier new fashion. Um, so I'm really curious to see how that evolves. Um, actually, so to keep reviewing, uh, the year of 2021, which like I said, we all made it through. <laughs> um, um, I wanted to ask you, Carlos, um, what was your favorite, uh, cheese or dairy experience of last year? Uh, I, so, you know, I moved to England in the middle of the year and I came here with sort of like knowing that there's a lot of cheese that I don't know and and sort of with mm. the open-mindedness that I'm going to now learn about cheese here as a, as a complete new thing. Uh, and I think that in, in the United States, we're very um, sort of accustomed to some of the uh, British territorials, uh, which are have been popularized by Niels Jardieri, in the United States. And then when I got here, I was kind of like surprised, pleasantly surprised, that there is so many other cheeses actually being made here, that the, that the revolution in cheese in the UK has now expanded beyond those, you know, Lancashire and Cheddar and, and Stilton, Stilton, um, that it is now... A, going into so many other directions uh, and, and that there's so much cheese here that that is new and exciting and but that it, that at the same time is very attached or, or very closely um, linked to good cheese making practices to environmental practices and, and I think that's really interesting uh, because you know British cheese is is 
is still, I, I think, coming of age in the United States. You know, it's not it's not like French cheese or Spanish cheese that that or Italian cheese that people really understand. You know, it's, it's coming of age there. And then these cheeses uh, that are new are coming there. And and so I think that there is a fantastic cheese here. And so I think it, it has been a revelation to me. Uh, and I'm always super happy to try another cheese and, and be like, oh, this, this is like, you know, something that the, the reference is not necessarily what we normally know from the UK. Interesting. And I wonder, does it like, do we need another food broker out of England to get these cheeses here? I wonder, or is it just they're so <laughs> local, hyper-local, um, that, that that's why they're there? I mean, I wonder it, it, when it comes down to it. I think there's a couple of food, uh, of cheese brokers in the United States. Of course, you know, they're being, you know, having uh, been a reputable organization, uh, you know, of actually working with cheesemakers and, and people has has a lot of bandwidth in 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 the United States, but I think that the fine food, a fine cheese company, mm-hmm. fine cheese company, yeah. is also doing very interesting work. And there is um, Na- Somerdale in the United States, so there's a couple of others. Yeah, and, but it has really been split in you know what ends up in the independent stores and what ends up in the supermarkets. And I think that that. Uh, we we are going to start seeing it uh, in in other places also because you know and this is to to sort of bring a little bit of politics into this. Mm. Um, before Brexit, uh, a big amount of British cheese was going to uh, the the European Union, but because now it's actually so much more expensive to send it to to the to you know to France or to Italy or, right. or the Netherlands. Huh. Uh, cheesemakers are looking for other places to sell their cheese, and so they're going. They're trying to go into Canada, and they're trying to go into the more and more into the United States, and you know more and more trying to send it to other places that are n- normally we're not getting so much cheese. And so I think this is kind of that leap that is going to happen. So you know, of course, there's a lot of problems with Brexit, and and cheesemakers here in the United in the in the UK have complained very very much to the government about the lack of certainty that was created for them. But I think that that this will end up maybe in in them having uh, different markets and, and definitely the United States is, is kind of the obvious market for UK cheeses. Oh, that's very interesting. All right. So we made a, we might claim a trend for 2022 here right now. Um, thank you, Carlos, for sharing that. This is a great point for me to say. Let's take a quick break. Um, and uh, hey, everyone, you're listening to Cutting the Curd with myself, Kara Warren, Carlos Yescas, and Jessica Kesselman. And we will be right back. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. 
Conte takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Cutting the Curd. I think Jessica Kesselman is putting away her dog right now. I'm Kara Warren, and I have Carlos Yescas with me, still in England and enjoying life uh, on the European side of life. Uh, but actually, I'm curious if... Carlos, will you be going to Fancy Fucho Vegas? <laughs> I would not. Oh, my God. I'm just going to come out and say it. What a terrible mistake has the Specialty Food Association done by moving from San Francisco to Vegas. Yeah. Uh, and so if you agree with me, please let them know. I mean, I just can't think of a, of a worse uh, decision to make. I think it was, um, of course, a lot of people are going to be going and, you know, there's, um, there, there's an interest, but I think what is going to happen is that because the is being decoupled from other, um, events, uh, you know, CMI, the F good mercantile and so many other th things that were happening sort of around it, um, actually, this the fancy food show, the, the winter may not be as important anymore for cheese, mm. uh, for the cheese industry. I don't know how it is for other industries, but definitely for cheese, I think it's going to change. And I, I, I think you're, I, I have started already seeing who is going to be uh, represented in the cheese pavilion. Uh, and they're, you know, they're the big companies. Uh, they're, you know, small sort of uh, companies don't have the, the the capacity to, you know, sort of change completely from one city to another and, you know, hope that people arrive. So I think it's, it's I think it would not be a great thing for cheese that, that they're going to Vegas this year. Yeah, I mean. What do you think, Carol? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great <laughs> or question. how about, do you tell us about your dairy experience? <laughs> I don't put you on the spot. No, 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 it's a great, it's a, actually, so, uh, yeah, let's back up to my favorite cheese or dairy experience of 2021. I will have to say, um, thank you for asking, uh, my favorite experience really was learning uh, more about butter and how butter is used in croissants. And now I realize I can taste um, in croissants which uh, butter is used. But I mean, I'm very biased towards um, the Sydney butter. And, and so for me, I can tell, and this was the coolest thing that I didn't know existed, that you could eat a croissant and know that, like, I know for me, I that it's a Sydney butter because it has much, the flavors are better and that it's super caramelized. I don't know, now I can't go back. So like, I figured out one that I love croissants even more, which is not good for my body, but it's delicious. Um, <laughs> um, and I just think it, it's so cool to see that um, and to know that now, like if I'm just walking through different pastry places or bakeries, I'm like, I can tell the difference. And I, I don't know to, to, I, it's like, 
identifying a new cheese on site. You know, it's just like that kind of cool factor of, wow. Okay. But now I see so many bad croissants too. You know, there's, there's this whole, that's amazing. Yeah. No, no. Right. Isn't it? I just, I, I, that, so that's my cool fun thing. Totally. And I think that listeners should go and do this and try to learn more about butter. I think, you know, I'm the kind of guy that puts butter uh, on, on toast and then puts Comte on top of it. So I mm. eat butter with cheese. <laughs> Very and, nice. Uh, so I have a big appreciation for butter. And I think that uh, the more people understand about butter, they will actually want to eat better butter and, and there will be you know, a demand for it, which, which also will have uh, interesting effects in how butter is produced and marketed. Uh, because I think so much right now is, you know, just stuff that, um, you know, does have the percentage uh, of, of humidity uh, and, and, you know, it's just being made somewhere in Australia um, and, 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 you know, not of the quality that you will expect uh, something that, you know, that you want to eat. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I was in a, a focus survey this past year and when people were asked, I, I was actually, I was watching a focus survey, I should say, about butter. And when people were asked in the United States from all over the nation um, about what is cultured butter and if they cared about it, they really didn't know. And it shocked me because I thought saying cultured butter was such a, a selling point. And it really goes to show like we're in this part where like some people know and some people don't. And we're, we're still working towards that education. Um, but it, it was fascinating. Um, and I, I think the to know more about, you know, grass-fed, cultured, where it's from, like a cheese, what region it's produced. These were all things that, like, people, as you were talking to them, they were more interested in it. But, like, on a first shot, five-second glance, you could tell they were still like, I'm going to buy the one-pounder. And we were like, no, there's so much better butter out there. Like... Once they know, they're they're into it. But it, it's it's an interesting, it's fun to to watch people learn about cheese and butter still. <laughs> so that that's my point about this. Um, I want to switch back to um, the Vegas situation because I know everyone's talking about it right now, at least in the industry side. I want to let our listeners know that I am going to Fancy Fuchu Vegas, so I will definitely. Uh, report back on what's going on there. I think um, at this point, it's going to be a lot of pro- the, you know producers, and I hope some customers will come back. But I mean, I really feel like I need to reconnect with people. Like this is it's there's only so much emailing and phone calling. Um, you know, I want to see people again in person. Now, is that smart in Vegas? Who knows? <laughs> uh, you know, this is unfortunately the world we're <laughs> we're living in. Um, uh, yeah, it's just. I mean, I guess Jess, you get to not go to Vegas too, right? Are you going to Vegas? I am not going to Vegas, as far as I know. I'm not going to Vegas. <laughs> oh man! I mean, it's all kind of connected, right? Because we've so many of us have been working from home, uh, or um, not maybe not working out. Um, in the field as much as we used to, if we were in sales, right? I mean, retail people had a really rough year. They were working a lot. Um, and then uh, food service has been so up and down and isn't really, it's not, you know, things are not great. And and so fancy food, I think will be an interesting experience because the outlook is still really unclear. Things are not back to normal. and. Um, so, you know, I just was thinking about what Carlos was saying about the place of shows now, 
you know, and, and, and market, you know, mercantiles and, and events like CMI. I mean, I think CMI endures because it's a, it's an industry event that's, you know, based around this competition. And I think especially for people as they enter the industry on the counter, it's a really great, um, uh, for lack of a better word, like a fraternity. I mean, like yeah, in terms of absolutely. like it being like a club, you're, you're we're all together, and um, and it, you know. But as far as the the trade shows, I think people do want to get out and see each other and and such. But the outlook is still really unclear. So I'm curious to know how much business comes out of them now. Yeah. Um, I I mean I I felt for a few years that I don't know if this is okay to say but for the last few years you know having two fancy food shows a year even though they were on different coasts I think there's been a little bit of show fatigue before we all got shut down by covid and um you know and it's important that we all come back and see each other and people are anxious to get out on the road and do business in person. But I'm curious to see how much business will actually be done now that shows are starting again. And, um, and if, uh, you know, if with the outlook still so unclear, I know that like Expo East, Mm -hmm. I, I've heard from colleagues who attended, it, it was very business oriented and people were really excited and, and it was crowded and it did a lot of had a lot of great things that came out of it. So, um, you know, shows are a business uh, in and of themselves. And so we're talking about multiple industries being involved in these. So um, it's not just the producers and the and the buyers and such. It's also the people who put on these shows and, and how the last couple of years have affected them. Um, oh, yeah, sure. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if we go back to the way things were or if if all of these different industries are going to operate in a new model going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, you're totally right. I think that's actually an excellent point that Jessica's making right now. Because I think that if, I think if we just go back or, or you know, these shows just go back to the same format of aisles with big things and there hasn't been any sort of renewal they will feel tired yeah. uh, very fast. And so I think that maybe this is also the moment that, you know, some of the shows could change um, for, for the better because, you know, they were like very much about gatekeeping. And yeah. so I, I have no love for them, as, as people can obviously hear from my, from my dismissal of it all. Uh, and, and so I hope that, you know, they are, they can realize that, you know, there is here a, a space that they could claim to, for the better. Then, but if it's not, you know, the people are gonna, just going to find different ways of connecting and, and having those uh, relationships uh, expectations met by either a smaller uh, get-together or, you know, in, in actually just visits that are specific to stores or to, to companies that are doing business. I'm going to add that to our wish list for 2022. Um, to add, I guess it's to add another item to our wish list based off of what Carlos just said, because it really would be a missed opportunity if we just went back to doing things the way we always did them. I really feel like in this country... We really need to be looking at um, 
strengthening our regional food systems. And I think when it comes to cheese, some regions do it much better than others. And part of that is about how we get cheese made in those regions out to the rest of the country. And just knowing working, you know, having worked in sales and also as a, you know, as a cheesemonger, um, and then, you know, more working with national brands and such, you know, for the South, like the Southeast, it's really hard to get those cheeses out to other people. Um, a lot of it has to do with logistics um, and distribution. But, you know, I, I've always been envious, even though we're up here in New York and we're, you know, New Yorkers love to, I should say, Southern New Yorkers think we're the center of the universe. But um, <laughs> we don't really have the kind of marketing board or, you know, that like Wisconsin has or that California has or, you know, the Oregon Cheese Festival. Like, we don't. I'd love to see more of that in more parts of the country that draw national attention and that also help get those regional cheese producers out into the rest of the country a lot more easier and um, easily and also more affordably to the cheesemaker. That's a very good point. So that that's that's my wish list for 2022. Oh man, that's a, that's a very good wish, Jess, actually. Like yeah, I I think we're all looking forward to change. I think it's the overall uh theme to this episode today um in the cheese industry um and for the hospitality mm-hmm. systems that already exist. Um and I my hope is uh, since everything is kind of changing right now already that we can also have some active change. So maybe uh, one of the themes for cutting the curd this season will be looking at uh, companies and guests that are uh, working in that way, be it with climate change or logistics or um, uh, innovative product, uh, cheese products, dairy products. I think that's where we have to sort of uh, see things go for cutting the curd and for the cheese industry as a whole. So I am I'm very excited to see what happens in 2022. Carlos, did you give us your wish or is it just that you want food shows to change? No, I, I have I have many wishes. I, I, <laughs> I really don't, you know, during the pandemic, during the pandemic, I conducted the business uh, presenting cheese companies to buyers by sending boxes. And I think that it was so much uh, better to have that sort of one-on-one uh, of cheese boxes with uh, uh, not only cheese, but other products to some buyers and to really introduce people to the people behind, which is kind of, kind of the wish that happens at the at the food shows. And when I, when I said that they were gatekeeping was because so many times it was very difficult for small producers to even get the FaceTime with, um, you know, a buyer or... And it was a lot of just standing around giving out cheese to people that you didn't even know if they were going to buy your cheese. And and so I think that that has a cost for producers, you know, to not only manpower, but also product that needs to be sampled. And and that is a big commitment. And I think that there's different ways that we could do that. Um, I, I, I think that the food show could be, at least for the cheese uh, industry, could be so much better. Um, and and I think that's why so many producers kind of miss the 
meet the cheesemaker at ACS because although we had that same format, it, it had really experts uh, buying and, and not just some random person that was just buying whatever other category coming for a, for a bit of cheese for lunch, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I, I think that there's different ways to do, to do things. Um, should I go into my wish list? Yes, I would, lo- I would love it. I would love to hear what else is on this list. But I think I think big on uh, big on the list is um, for me is looking at sort of the into the knowledge that we have sort of assume all of us that is there and then try to question why it actually came from and and this is not my you know, I didn't come up with this, but uh, as 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 part of the board of directors of the Daphne Cephas teaching um, endowment, I think it was very clear to us this this round of applications that so many of the projects being applied with were with projects that were about looking at something that we understood but looking at it again in a different light. And so, for example, Mary Casella, who won, uh, who is the recipient this year, uh, she's looking at the role of women in cheese. And it's not like like she's she's going into a whole new thing that we didn't know. It's just looking again at what has been overlooked. Uh, But there were many other projects that were exactly kind of like that. So I think it, it actually falls onto not only us, the three hosts of the show, but you know the the, the cheese writers out there, the influencers, and all of uh, all, all of the good folks that sort of create the media environment for for cheese to question what is the knowledge that we have and why do we keep saying the things with you know so many of us know that you know. Brevi bacterium linens are not necessarily the only things that are on wash rinds, but nonetheless, it is kept repeating. And so I think that this is the moment of like, oh, maybe let's look again at this and let's try to make that uh, leap of uh, making things a little bit more complex because for us, that will be uh, better. And I think at the end for the producer and the consumer will be better if, if we're trying to explain things in, with more nuance than just these blank statements. Um, yeah, so that's my big, big item on the wish list. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Carlos. Uh, I just wanted to say that I'm looking forward to the new season of Cutting the Curd with you both. Um, and uh, to the listeners out there, thank you for listening with us. Um, this has been great. Jess, uh, any last words for the listeners out there? Yeah, I think it's my hunch. Um, just from what I know about you, Kara, and you, Carlos, and having known you guys for years in different capacities. Um, I have a feeling that our interviews this season are going to be directly tied to what we just said our wish lists were. I just I just have a feeling, and it might be intentional, and it might be accidentally um, they sync up, but something tells me that our focus this year on cutting the curd is really going to be looking at some of the things we said in the last few minutes of our of our uh, episode. I just, I just have a feeling. Um, and, uh, and I'm excited because I think I, I would love, you know, for us to have voices and segments of the industry on here that maybe haven't been represented before or as prominently. And maybe it'll, I don't know, it'll, it'll be part of this uh, seizing the opportunities 
of the last couple of years and heading in new directions. So I'm excited. Totally. Same here. I, uh, it's, it's exciting. For the, for the listeners out there during my, sh- during my shows, uh, you know, I, I always ask you to, to, to write us, to make, uh, to comment online. You know, we, we love to hear from you. I love hearing from the listeners. I, I think I have learned so much from, from you. Uh, and I will also say that, you know, I, I, I listen to both Kara and Jessica's shows and I'm always like, oh, wow, I did not think of that before. And so I'm very, I'm very happy to to be part of this uh, to this group of of people to putting this, and I think that you know we we are if we push a little bit of these boundaries that that there were um, you know current and Kurt continue, will continue to be uh, an excellent source of of uh, information and also thinking things yeah. to think about um, for 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 so many people in the industry. Exactly. Yeah. No. That's it's so. Thank you, Carlos. That is, yeah, that is, we're, we're hoping to do that here on Cutting the Curd, push the boundaries, inspire change, uh, get new cheesemongers, new cheesemakers going in their, in their lives. Um, uh, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone, uh, especially for last year and um, for this upcoming year, it's going to be fantastic. Um, To the listeners out there, if you want to follow us, please follow us at Cutting the Curd. Um, Heritage Radio Network is our network. So, Please feel free to donate to make this show happen. Um, That's the place. Go to Heritage Radio Network. Um, Otherwise, thank you again for listening. I'm Kara Warren with Carlos Yescas and Jessica Kesselman. And Happy New Year and good thoughts for 2022. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.